This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, June 20th, 2014. I'm Caleb Brown. The Export-Import Bank supplants private sector activity. It actively subsidizes mostly massive, profitable U.S. companies, and it often facilitates harm to downstream U.S. companies. So ending that bank would seem to be an easy litmus test for a GOP that desperately needs credibility on restraint of spending. Dan Eikenson, Director of Trade Policy Studies at the Cato Institute, makes the case for ending the Export-Import Bank. So in order to facilitate international trade, uh, U.S. companies need to find creditworthy companies abroad to buy their products. And often that requires uh, financing, uh, export financing. Uh, For some reason, uh, since 1934, the United States has had the Export-Import Bank, which is designed to provide financing for for foreign companies to buy U.S. products. The reason is that when a U.S. company sells abroad and has to go 30, 60, 90 days without getting any payment, uh, there's – that that produces an impediment to trade. Uh, So there is clearly a need for financing these these sales so that U.S. exporters get money up front or sooner. But – there's absolutely no reason the private sector can't be serving this this demand. Uh, so XM has made it has turned into sort of a subsidy for big U.S. companies uh, by providing low rate financing, below market financing to foreign purchasers, or providing financing in cases that the market might deem too risky. Uh, so they're either putting taxpayer dollars at risk in those cases, uh, or they are muscling in on private sector territory, banks that could be financing uh, these operations. Who are the big beneficiaries from the Export-Import Bank? Well, the, the biggest U.S. company is, is Boeing. Uh, in fact, the, the Export-Import Bank is dubbed uh, Boeing's bank. Uh, we also have you know, Caterpillar and GE, companies that make, tend to make large sales. Uh, the XM Bank likes to say, hey, we're available to all t- types of U.S. exporters, small and medium enterprises. And there are, you know, thousands and thousands of transactions that they underwrite, but 80 percent of their uh, largesse goes to the benefit of of Boeing. 80 percent. Correct. So that's more than $30 billion in loans guaranteed? Well, uh, it it depends on what horizon, time horizon you're looking at. Uh, On an annual basis, uh, as in 2014, the budget for XM is $160 billion. Uh, They have guaranteed loans, provided loans, or provided working capital to the tune of about $37 billion this year. But they have a you know, big portfolio out there right now. Defenders of the XM Bank say, hey, we, we need this because we can't possibly make sales to foreign countries, uh, foreign uh, customers, when we're competing against export credit agencies in China or Europe uh, who are throwing a lot more money at, at, at the, at the, uh, at, to try to facilitate these sales. The problem, though, is that we're not benefiting U.S. exports in general. We're not creating U.S. jobs in general. We are uh, transferring uh, those resources because there are U.S. companies that are hurt. When XM subsidizes Boeing's sales to, say, Air India – a commercial airliner in India, it is providing uh, a lower capital cost structure for this company, makes it easier for Air India to lower its prices to compete with, say, Delta Airlines or any other American airline. Uh, We are giving a leg up to the competitors of U.S. downstream companies. 
Um, and this is being done in the name of helping U.S. Uh, not just companies, but the broader economy. That's right. So you'll hear politicians or big business lobbies say, you know, this is a, a win-win. We are uh, The Export-Import Bank is committed to growing U.S. exports and exports create U.S. jobs. Uh, what's not to like about this? Well, th- what they don't tell you is that, well, there are downstream effects uh, when U.S. taxpayer dollars are being used to underwrite the sales of particular companies abroad. We have to think of the customer's of those U.S. companies in the U.S. So in Air India's case, Delta, when, um, when, when XM dollars are used to uh, help sell mining equipment and heavy earth-moving equipment to Australian mines, uh, Caterpillar equipment, GE equipment, um, it reduces the price of minerals uh, and it, it makes it more difficult for U.S. mines uh, to make, uh, make ends meet. About uh, $8 billion of, over the past seven years, about $8 billion worth of, of, of XM's um, largesse goes for exports of metal products, about $2 billion for chemical products, uh, I think about $5 billion for transportation equipment. Uh, a lot of these products are components of manufacturing. So we are subsidizing foreign manufacturers by reducing their cost of production, then they come back to the United States and compete with U.S. companies here and around the world. So we're, we're making it easier for the competition of downstream U.S. companies. Uh, we're making it harder for them to compete. So I find it almost indistinguishable, uh, the XM Bank program, uh, from sugar, the sugar program or from steel tariffs. In those cases, we are overtly restricting imports to benefit an upstream producer. But, you know, when we limit imports of steel, we hurt steel using industries in the United States. This is the same process in reverse. Uh, I am reminded of when you talked about uh, metal producers in the United States, there's, uh, I'm reminded of the construction of solar panels that we've talked about uh, on numerous times. And it seems that in a lot of trade issues, Export-Import Bank just being one of them, it's the downstream producers or consumers in the United States, be they consumers of intermediate goods or end product consumers, the, all of us, mm-hmm. uh, who are sort of the unseen. That is the unseen losers in all of this. Exactly. This is a classic example of, of Bastiat's, you know, that which is seen and that which is not seen. We, we have this habit to just look at the first order effects of policy. You know, we need to increase exports or we need to create jobs. And this policy on its face will do that. Oh, but don't look at, you know, the consequences. Don't look at the downstream effects. And there are always secondary effects. And, uh, and there are a lot of losers uh, from this policy. So right now, uh, the Exim Bank's uh, 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 charter is set to expire on September 30th. And there is a chance that it won't be reauthorized. Uh, it's an issue that is one of many issues, I think, that is dividing the Republican Party. Um, what's different this go-around from previous uh, chapters is that the chair of, uh, of financial services is Jeb Henserling, who is an, an adamant opponent of, of uh, XM, and th- the reauthorization legislation has to come through his committee. He has decided to allow hearings, which are taking place next week, um, 
but it's it's unclear exactly what's going to happen. There is a lot uh, uh, conservative Republicans want to make this um, an important issue uh, to, to to distinguish what what their party's about from the establishment, and we'll we'll see how that plays out. What is the the budget of the organization? What's their budget authority? How much do they spend? Well, uh, right now the budget authority they have 160 billion. Uh, now they don't spend that every year. They don't spend. But they it have every the authority year. to do so. They, they do so. Uh, so far, they the uh, this year was uh, in the low 30s, I believe, or uh, the most recent year. Um, but they have a big portfolio that's outstanding because m- most of the loans that they make are are on a long term basis. You know, and they make the case that look, with, without XM, uh, we wouldn't be able to make sales because there, in certain instances, the market would the risk is too high. Well, there are all sorts of private sector vehicles for for funding high risk loans. Um, so XM is really muscling in on on U.S. banks or other banks, private sector banks that that could underwrite this. And if in fact the private sector would 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 deem a transaction too risky to be funded with, at an affordable interest rate, then they're putting taxpayer dollars at, at risk. Uh, and, and neither of those excuses makes sense. This seems like a fairly easy litmus test, or it ought to be a fairly easy litmus test for uh, fiscal conservatives to say, look, if you want to be called a fiscal conservative at all, this is, here's your, this is the opportunity. Uh, that, that's right. And I, it's I not sufficient, but it is necessary, right? <laughs> that, that's right. It's 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 pretty clear that there is an obvious market solution here. Um, you know what Boeing and the Chamber of Commerce and the Business Roundtable and various other groups are pushing back on is, is saying, you know, we we can't compete with other uh, governments' credit agencies, and we're going to lose those sales. That that's nonsense. Um, the, the companies that are underwritten here uh, are, are highly profitable. They have huge advantages, and I just can't imagine that a sale would be lost because of a long-term interest rate of, say, 2.5% versus 3.5% when U.S. producers have so many advantages in, in other areas that their competitors in China or, or, or Europe don't. You can find that uh, different, make that difference up somewhere else. To what extent do these foreign credit agencies – uh, provide the same function as the Export-Import Bank? Is it basically the same? You know, more or less. Uh, well, so then the, then the question to ask, I would think, would be, well, if you accept the idea that we are, by providing this credit to U.S. companies for export, that we are subsidizing foreign companies that make use of those exports to compete with Americans, well, why wouldn't we care uh, why would we not allow other countries to provide that same subsidy to U.S. companies? Yeah, that, that, that's right. We should take the money and run. You know, I, I, I have some sympathy for concerns about competing. Uh, I mean, I, I, I believe in markets, and there are uh, impediments, and uh, there are, the, the, the scales are, are, are tipped in various countries. Ideally, we would have some sort of a multilateral agreement to just not subsidize our exporters. It makes absolutely no sense. But in order to get there, uh, the United States needs to lead. 
because, you know, we're the ones who talk about free markets all the time and we're the ones who seem to be the most hypocritical about it. We should uh, unilaterally uh, stop doing this kind of thing and we can start by not reauthorizing the bank on September 30th. Dan Eikenson directs the Herbert A. Stiefel Center for Trade Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. You can read more on the problems caused by the XM Bank at our website, cato.org.